Today's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption into sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. This is not an exam, but it would be interesting at times for us to reflect on how much of the Bible we actually know. How well do we know what I guess some of the important themes and ideas are. There are certain phrases that um, will pop up in people's speech from time to time which have come from a history of Christianization of the Western world, I guess, and we will often find them just being used without people realising they come from the Bible. But other people have phrases and ideas they use which they think do come from the Bible but don't. I was... Uh, I worked in, in television, in media in Sydney uh, for quite a number of years. About 40 years ago, the Bible Society had produced a, a brand new translation or copy, a printed copy, a large copy of one of their Bibles. They got a, a Sydney media personality to help promote it. He was a man with a very beautiful, rich voice, spoken, speaking voice. He, he read the news on one of the TV channels and he was quite well known, so they thought his face would be good. He was often asked to do Bible readings in in gatherings. I was just at a small group where some photos were being taken of him holding this book, and as we were talking, he was just um, chatting with the the people that were there, and he said, and of course, uh, uh, if anything goes wrong, he said, "We, we know that we can always go back because the Lord helps those who help themselves, as the good book says. Now, nobody corrected him. But I'd like you to bring me your Bible and show me where it says that. Because, you see, it doesn't. People will often think they know what the Bible says. And um, sometimes people's lives are even based on ideas which they think are 
from the Bible but aren't. So that's why it's important to know what it does say. It's important even to know when there are verses that we love, whether they are being used in context or not. Because it's so easy to develop a theory, an idea, and at times a doctrine, and at times even create a movement. Throughout Christian history we've seen that, where people have based whole new Christian movements on one phrase or idea. I want to just take a bit of time now to unpack just a couple of ideas from that passage in Romans 8 that we heard Naomi read to us just a while ago. Because Romans 8 has got so many wonderful things in it, it's hard at times to know how to keep them all together in one way. But the theme that I'm just looking at today is the theme of hope. The theme of hope is an important one in that chapter because Paul actually uses that very idea quite strongly. He's been uh, talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit and what that will mean for those who believe in Jesus. He's uh, earlier in the chapter, I referred to it briefly last week. Um, and then he goes on to say what uh, Naomi started to re- read at the start. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now I could stop there and speak probably for a while even about that one idea. It's a marvellous idea, isn't it? For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, just pausing for a moment, just to that idea. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have committed your way to him and said, Lord Jesus, you died for me, I receive the gift of forgiveness and eternal life, I will be yours. Take me and use me as you will. If you've made that commitment and he has come into your life and your walk with him has begun, then you are now glorious. Do you feel glorious this morning? Sometimes in gatherings I actually sense that the Spirit is heightening his presence in gatherings. And it's wonderful because it means that people's spirits are actually glowing. Not physical. It's just a real strong sense of God of the presence of God in the midst of gatherings. And there's a sense of that here this morning. God's spirit is active and is moving in the lives of all his people. But Paul here is talking about not that sort of glory. He's talking about something that is still to come something that will be revealed. Now, that's something to look forward to. That brief illustration I gave when I spoke earlier just about the children was about an idea that there is a hope that God has held out for his people. And he says, come and receive. And what he wants us to do is come and receive. And he wants us to trust that everything that he has in store for us is good. Now, Paul here is talking in terms which seem just over the top at times because he goes on to say that the whole creation is groaning in travail. What's travail? Well, that's often the word that's used for a woman who's giving birth. And he says the whole creation is waiting for something new to come, something new to happen. Now, we know we live in a world that's got a fair amount of pain and suffering in it, don't we? We all experience it in one way or other almost every day. Something reminds us 
And yet Paul is here reminding his readers that that's absolutely nothing compared to what's to come. When he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing, I I find it hard to even think what sort of comparison that could be. Somebody used the illustration of saying, well, we can compare a thimble of water to the ocean. (laughs) And you might be able to even, if you're a very clever scientist, calculate the amount of water that there is on the planet. And then say, well, a thimble is that much and the rest is that much. That's the degree of magnitude of how much greater it is. But see, Paul is saying that you can't even make that comparison when we think about what's to come. Because what God has in store for his people who have received his spirit and come into fellowship with him is beyond compare. It is hope beyond our understanding. But it is hope that is assured. It's a guaranteed hope because God can be trusted. God's word doesn't change. God doesn't change. Throughout eternity, he has been the same and will remain the same. Nothing else in creation is like that. He is not in creation, is he? Because he made the creation. (laughs) And because he can be trusted, because he keeps his word, he keeps saying to us day after day, look to me, trust me, for what I have in store for you, not just now, but for eternity, is something worth giving up everything else for. Now, there are those who want to take these ideas of the the amount of work that the Spirit does in us now and how we are transformed into Jesus' likeness, how great we can appear when we have the fullness of Jesus in us. They will talk about the triumph that we have in this life, how we overcome sin and have victory over all sickness and disease and evil. And there's an element of truth in that. Because the Holy Spirit, he does equip us. He does give us the opportunity to move above things at times. And we do have times when there is a tremendous deliverance or grace or peace that comes in the midst of great trauma or freedom from some great disaster or even raising from death to life. Jesus still does those things in in people's lives from time to time. But that's not the experience that Paul's talking about in this passage. He's talking about the hope that we have of total new creation. Everything that God has planned for his whole creation. That's why Paul includes our groaning, the sort of pain and suffering we feel, with the creation itself when he says that the whole creation has been groaning as in travail, waiting for that remaking waiting for what God has in store. I want to read from a a commentator here who has said a couple of things I find really quite helpful on this passage. In his sermon, um, this man quotes from another sermon that C.S. Lewis gave in Oxford many years ago. And he said, The hope was as real to Paul as meat and drink. Lewis was right when he said, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the reward promised in the Gospels, 
it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. Belief in what the scriptures say will change our lives. Some of us need to have our eyes lifted from the dirt toward the heavens. There is simply no comparison of our pleasures or pain with the glory yet to be revealed. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that God really does have that sort of future for you? It's in the Bible. It's what Jesus said. He's coming back to take his own to be with him forever. He said, I no longer call you servants. I call you family. I call you friends. John writes at the start of his gospel, to those who believed in him, who put their faith in him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those born not of the flesh, nor of the will of a human being, but born of God. That's our inheritance. That's our family connection. And in the light of all of that, Jesus holds out to us the prospect of recreation, that this body, as strong and as good as it might be at times, or as weak and frail as it can be, all of our bodies, of course, will be replaced with the best ones. You're looking forward to your new body? Oh, I see a few nods. Okay, some of you might be feeling the need more than others. I know that's often the case. But you see, it's not just the new body that you or I will receive that's part of it. It's a whole new creation. And Jesus spoke about this in a variety of ways. He said in one of his teachings, the heavens will be rolled up. He also talks about fire destroying elements of the creation. Now those images are not ones that we're to just sort of take literally and say, well, there's obviously going to be a massive explosion in the universe or we, we can't picture what it means. Jesus also said that when he returns, he will be visible as he, in the heavens as he comes. And I think, now how is that possible when we live on a globe? Is it only the ones in the north will see him? Or if he comes to, well, it depends who's making the movie, doesn't it? If it was the Americans, he'd come to New York first. If it was the British or Doctor Who, he'd come to London first. Ah, oh, it could be an Aussie making the movie. He'd come to Ayers Rock or Uluru first. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> that's, that's really petty thinking to try. Because when Jesus comes, everything will change. And we, as his people, will see him and welcome him, and we will be changed. Just to go on with this, um, this writer here. He's talking here about the groaning. He said that we groan, creation groans, the whole church groans as we wait for our redemption, our adoption. He said creation groans, we groan, and even the spirit groans. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit 
because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. If we are honest with ourselves, we must all admit there are times when we cannot pray. There have been times when my children were so desperately ill and the urgency so great that I could scarcely converse with God. At best, I may have said a few words, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. There have been times when something has been said to us that is so devastating that we're so hurt we cannot pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. One day, some of us will lie in hospitals with catheters and IVs and we will not have the will to pray or even to put two thoughts together, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Holy Spirit expresses those things we feel but cannot articulate. Holy Spirit says those things we want to say but cannot mouth. How beautiful. May we appreciate our wealth. The word indicating Holy Spirit helps our weakness gives us further insight into how he intercedes for us because the Holy Spirit lays hold of our weakness along with us and carries his part of the burden facing us. And that's the idea in the Greek there is that as we go through life, it's like the Holy Spirit is walking with us as a partner. And this guy uses the illustration, it's like two people carrying a log, one at each end. Holy Spirit does not give armchair advice, rolls up his sleeves and helps us to bear our weakness. This is real help. How marvellous this all is. We have two intercessors, one in heaven, our Lord Jesus, who has died and gone before us and now sits enthroned in heaven, and one in our hearts, the Holy Spirit himself. How greatly we are loved. A glory awaits us that exceeds the wildest imaginations of our most gifted science fiction writers. You and I are going to be creatures so glorious that if we saw one another, sorry, if we saw such ones today, we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. I love that thought. You and I are going to be creatures so glorious that if we saw such a one today, we would be tempted to fall down and worship. We can't imagine what it's like to look glorious in our resurrection bodies. Will I be taller? Will I be blonde? I will be recognisably human because I will be like Jesus. At the end of that reading, Paul said um, <clears throat> that section again that so often is lifted out, and at times misused, <clears throat> we know that in everything God works for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. Now that's a statement that's lifted right out of any time context and makes it eternal. Because this is a statement of what God's purpose for his people is for all time. People he has called, people he has known, people he has saved, people he has justified, people he has glorified. 
That's his people. That's us. We fit into that pattern, into that group. These are the promises that God has made in his word that we hold on to. These are what our hope is in, that Jesus will keep his word and we will be conformed to the image of his son. We will one day be like him for we will see him as he is. Because of the greatness of the coming glory and because of our weakness, we groan. But we're not alone, for we're surrounded by the sympathetic groanings of creation, even of the Holy Spirit. And one day our groanings will be replaced by glory. My friends, I want those sort of words which come from the Scriptures and the words which I have attempted to add to them today will encourage you to live with a sure and certain hope, a sure and certain knowledge that you know whom you have believed in, you know who is your God, you know he has died for you and has risen again and his life is active in you as one of his children right now and he will sustain us and carry us through to the time when we see him face to face, no matter what the trials of this life are. We will continue to have suffering. We will continue to live in a world that is not yet perfect. How much longer is it until Jesus returns? <gasps> Wish I knew. I would like it to be today. I'm ready. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Because sin will be finally done away with. Sickness, death, darkness will be no more. Decay will disappear. Everything will be glorious and new. And you and I, as servants of Jesus, will be glorious. That is hope. Sure hope. Certain hope. No doubt. Why? Because God has said it. God has promised it. And it's not just in Romans 8. You can read Paul saying similar things in 2 Corinthians 4. You can pick up the themes of Jesus himself in some of his teachings. It's there for us to take on board and place the weight of our whole life on the word of God, both the written word and the living word Jesus who has come to make all things new. It's good news. It's our promise of good things to come and the promise that he's with us in it right now, groaning alongside us, but also lifting our eyes. Will you allow your hearts and eyes and minds to be lifted this morning to him and to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I come before you today And there's just one thing that I want to say Thank you, Lord Thank you, Lord For all you've given to me For all the blessings that I cannot see Thank you, Lord Thank you, Lord With a grateful heart 
with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For all you've done in my life. You took my darkness and gave me your light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You took my sin and my shame. You took my sickness and healed all my pain. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Oh, yes, thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Oh, thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.